Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Today we're doing something a little bit different, if you can't tell. Um, (laughs) Stephen and I are going to be sharing together as we go through uh, this sermon series. The next couple of weeks, Stephen and I will be up here together. Uh, This particular series that we're going to get into for the next several weeks is, it's, you know, in seminary class, we would call this apologetics, okay? That's a big 50 cent word uh, that that basically means, uh, why do we believe what we believe? And so we're going to spend the next several weeks uh, talking about the Bible. And why do we believe that the Bible is really God's word? Why do we believe it to be the truth? And so that's what we're going to be sharing together uh, for the next couple of weeks. And uh, we're going to be kind of tag teaming back and forth. And we're going to explain this box here uh, by, the, by the time we get done here today. Um, we, we, you know, somebody wanted to know if we had an assistant that's going to pop out of that. Or if yeah. we're cutting someone in half today. Pretty sure it's uh, Donkey Kong. Is yeah, it inside? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. yeah Donkey Kong. <laughs> so... Uh, but we'll explain what that is in just a moment. But I want to start off our time together. Uh, there was a survey that was recently done about the Bible, asking people, is the Bible useful for living in today's world? And it's really interesting what, what was discovered. So anyone over the age of 75 that was asked that question, 65% of those people said, yes, the Bible is useful for living in today's world. That's everyone over the age of 75. If that's you, kudos, kudos, good job, because you scored higher than any other generation. If, If we look at people who are between the age of 59 and 75, only 56% said that the Bible is useful for living in today's world. If we look at the next age bracket, which is mine, what they call Gen X, age 44 to 58, it drops down to 40%. Say that the Bible is useful for living in today's world. If you go to the next generation, which is ages 29 to 43, which is your generation, generation. (laughs) it drops down to 27%. And the people that were doing this survey got so discouraged, they didn't do the next generation. (laughs) They just stopped and said, that's enough. We see the trend. We see where things are going. And in today's world, fewer and fewer people actually find any relevance in the Bible. And that's even happening inside the church. Because what happens in the church is that we take If we're not careful, we take parts of the Bible and say, that part's good. That part we believe. That part we'll follow. And then there's other parts that we look at and we say, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's still applicable to today. I don't know if that's really relevant to me and my life. 
And so that's why we felt real compelled to spend some time talking about, is the Bible really reliable? Is it really from, from God's Word? And so uh, imagine it this way. There's, when, when people are talking about the Bible, especially those who are reluctant uh, or maybe they, they, they have some reservations about following the Scriptures, there's really three questions that come up. How is the Bible different from any other great book? All right? So someone were to ask you, if you had a friend that walked up to you and said, well, what makes the Bible different from any other great book that's out there? How would you answer that question? Another question that's asked frequently is, how can we be certain that the Bible is from God? I mean, it was actually people that wrote the Bible. You know that, right? I mean, it was actually people that wrote the Bible. So how can we know that the Bible came from God? How would you answer that question? Another question that comes up pretty frequently is, why is it so hard to understand? And it is hard to understand. I've been reading it a good part of my life, and there are parts that I still don't understand. And I'm sure one day I'm going to ask the Lord, why did you arrange it this way? But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes it is hard to understand. But, but when we're asked that, with someone who's, who has reservations about the Scripture, how would you answer it? Why is it so hard to understand sometimes? Those are some of the questions that we're going to be talking about through this series and how we might be able to find confidence in the scripture ourselves but also be able to talk to someone about it if someone were to ask us now i'm just going to go ahead and tell you what this box is this is a question box and through this series what we're doing is if you have a question about the bible if you'll write it on a piece of paper there's a little slit in the top of this box you drop it in the box and next week We'll do our best to answer the question. We've already decided that if we can't answer the question, we're going to let Jason come answer it. That's right. <clears throat> okay? That's what we're going to do. Yeah. All right? So, so that's what this is for. So if you're sitting through this and you think, man, why don't they talk about this? Or why won't they, why won't they say this? If, if you'll write that in the form of a question, if you'll drop it in this box, then, then we're going to do our very best to try to answer those questions at the end of each service as we go through this time together. Uh, but that's what this box is for. And so those three questions that I just, that I just gave to you, how is the Bible different from any other great book? Uh, how can it, we be certain it's from God? And why is it hard to understand? You don't have to put those in there because we're going to answer those three for sure. That's right. Okay? All right, so you guys ready to jump into this? So there's three words, okay? There's three words that really help us understand the Bible. And, and Steve is going to tell us what the first word is. Yeah, so the first word is revelation. God chose to reveal his nature and will to us through the Bible, right? And so this, this uh, word, revelation, unpacks the, or answers the question of how is the Bible different from other books? And it is that God is revealing himself through the Bible. So um, I was... I once heard this analogy, this illustration. There was a person that said, if God is real, he would be too complex and too massive for us to understand. And so they unpacked this illustration of, suppose there were four blindfolded people and they approached an elephant. They couldn't see, the only thing they could do was feel um, or smell or those types of things. 
And they approached this elephant, and one found its way to the leg of the elephant and believed it to be a palm tree. This is a tree. It's like a, I'm feeling it's a tree. A different individual, blindfolded, made its way to the back of the elephant, touched the tail, and could feel the tail felt like almost like a, a duster of some type. A different individual, the blindfold, grabbed the tusk and noticed that it was almost like a rock, like a narrow, sharp rock. And then finally, the fourth individual grabbed the trunk and considered it to be more like a snake. And so in this analogy, they were saying, look, God's too big, too massive to under, you can't understand God, you can't know him. He's, he's the big word, metaphysical, he's invisible, he's not of this earth. How could you understand or know God? And that's the analogy they use. And here's where the analogy changes, though. What if the elephant can talk? What if the elephant could talk? It could say, that's not a tree, that's my leg. That's not a rock, that's my tusk. That's not a feather duster, that's my tail. That's not a snake, it's my trunk. See, the Bible, Revelation, is this idea that God, he reveals himself to us through this book. So Ezekiel 38, 23 says this, and God is speaking, he says, I will show you my greatness and my holiness. I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. They will know that I am the Lord. And for us, we have this gift of God's word, and he uses it as a vehicle to reveal himself, to speak to us, to tell us what he's like and what he's not like. So that's the first word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so revelation. So you get the idea, right? God's really big. He breaks himself down in the Bible. We read parts of the Bible, and we're like, gee, what is this? But it's God's voice it's God's that voice. makes the difference, that helps us understand that God is revealing himself to us through the scriptures. Another word that's really important to use when we talk about the Bible is the word inspiration. Inspiration is the process God used to give us the Bible. That's how we got it, okay? Now, whether you're holding a Bible in your hand or if you're reading the Bible on your smartphone or if you're pulling it up on your computer and you're reading it on a screen, it makes no difference. God got it to us through this process that is called inspiration. God worked in the hearts of human beings, the writers, to inspire them to write down the words. And these words that are in the Bible, again, whether you're reading it here or digitally, these words are perfect, they're infallible, and they're trustworthy. In this process of inspiration, it answers the question, how can we be certain that the Bible is from God? And next week, we're going to really take a deep dive on inspiration and how that works. But what you and I need to know is that when we open the Bible and read it, the first thing that's happening is God is revealing, revealing himself to us. The second thing that's happening is that the words we're reading are from him. Yeah. Okay? It's inspiration. They, they've been inspired by him to us. And 2 Timothy 3.16, that's why this verse is in the Bible. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. If one believes the Bible is only the ideas of men, listen, if we open the Bible and we say we don't believe in inspiration, say, hey, you know what, I, the, the, this, this book has some really good values in it, and, and I like some of the things it says, 
but I'm not sure it's from God. If it's not from God, then we can take that book and say, I can take it or leave it. It's an option. In today's world, this is an option. It's, it's just another self-help book. If, if it's not from God, it's just another self-help book. But if it's from God, it has a ring of authority to it. And it comes out and it says, you know what? I need to pay attention to what this says, and I need to do what this says the best that I can because it's from him. It's yeah. inspired. Absolutely. The third word that's really important to understand to understanding the Bible is the word illumination. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit that allows you and I to understand God's word, right? So this answers the question, how can we understand the Bible, right? We've all opened it, read it, looked at it, and been confused at times. But God is at work in us to help us understand it. Luke 24, 45 says this about the scripture. Then he, that is Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. And so this is important because what this means, illumination, is that we can go to the Bible to answer some of life's difficult questions, right? If, if it were a book we knew we couldn't understand, right. we would never open it because <laughs> we'd say, well, it, exactly. it won't make life, it won't make sense. But it can unpack for us answers to our worries, our sorrows, confusion. It can give us opportunities. It can even teach us things when we are surprised. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to discover four ways that we can have what we would like to call this light bulb turned on for us as we read the scriptures and we can know and understand, know and understand them because God's at work in us yeah. to reveal them. Yeah. So, so it's really important. Remember, this is not really like a sermon, okay? This is more like a talk. Yeah. All right? When, when we open the Bible, three things are happening immediately. Okay, and you, you got to keep this in mind when you're looking at the Bible. The first thing that's happening is God is revealing himself to you yeah. every time you open the Bible. The next thing that's happened is that these words you're reading, they're from God. They're from him to you. And the third thing is illumination, is that God is going to give you the ability to understand. All right? So that, that's really important to understand when you approach the Bible because it's not that way with any other book we read. <laughs> no. Okay, there's no other book you're going to pick up and those three things are happening. It only happens when we pick up the Bible and read it. Now, let's really talk for the rest of our time together this morning. We're going to talk about how do we know the Bible came from God. This is where we're going to kind of dig in and talk about some things uh, to talk about how we can be certain of this. Now, I, I want to say up front, here's kind of like the spoiler to the answer to this question. And that is, it's by faith. Yeah. Ultimately, we must by faith believe that God's word is the truth when we read it and, and, and that it's from him and that he's using it to have a relationship with us. So it's by faith. But there are some things that have been discovered in the world that can be maybe a seed to our faith or a bridge so that we can look at it and say, oh my gosh, there's some evidence that actually points to the fact that the Bible really is what it says it is. And there's two non-biblical evidences that proves the Bible is a historical book, okay? I, this, this, it's not only from God, it's, 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 it's a historical book. 
And so I, I want us to, to think about a couple of things. These two primary sources of non-biblical evidence. The first one is the number of manuscripts uh, and copies that, that have came, and the, and the short length of time between when it was originally written and the first copies we have of what was written. Okay? So the Bible, um, the first copies that, that we have of the New Testament, these original manuscripts, there's, first of all, there's thousands of them. There's thousands of these manuscripts. So we, we have some quotes in the outline for you. We, wanted to, I, we didn't want to just read something to you and you not know where we got that. So, so we put some quotes and we put the resource there. I encourage you to look up these resources and go read this stuff yourself, okay? But look at what this quote says. There are 5,366 manuscripts to compare and draw information from, and some of these date from the second or third centuries. To put that in perspective, there are only 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. And if you weren't paying attention in English in high school, you don't know what that is. <laughs> but it's a really old book that no one doubts its existence. No one doubts that Homer wrote the Iliad. And we only have 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. And that is the most famous book of ancient Greece. No one doubts the existence of Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars. But we only have 10 copies of it. And the earliest of those was made a thousand years after it was written. To have such an abundance of copies of the New Testament from dates within 70 years after their writing is amazing. So let me put that in perspective. That's like someone saying the original manuscripts were written in 1950 and in 2020 we had their first copies. That's how close it was before we started getting copies of the scriptures. The original manuscripts were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So any Bible translation that you read, there's Bible translations and there's Bible paraphrases. A paraphrase breaks down a, transla a translation. A translation comes from the manuscripts. So like the message, if any of you have a copy of the message, that's a paraphrase. If you remember the living Bible, that was really popular back when I was a teenager. That's a paraphrase of the scriptures. But if you go to the King James Version, the New International Version, the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, those are translations of the Bible. They go back to the original languages, which are Arabic, Hebrew, and what's the other one? Greek. Not English. <laughs> the Bible was never written in English. And so you and I need to understand that when we're, when we're reading a Bible, a translation of the Bible, it is one of the most historically accurate documents you can possibly read that history can provide yeah. based upon any other book that we have record of. This one has more to support its accuracy than any other book. And sometimes people ask the question, well, why didn't God just provide us with an original copy? Right? What would happen if we had an original copy? Anybody want to take a guess? We would worship, worship it. it yeah. 
We would worship it. And you say, oh, well, how do you know that? Because we have people who worship translations right now. There are people who say certain translations are the only translations. That's, that's a broad step, a broad statement to make. Mm-hmm. So, so what God has done in his wisdom is he has preserved his word so that it could be handed down. Plus, you and I do not read Aramaic, Hebrew, or Greek. Most of us don't like learning English. <laughs> so can you imagine if you had to learn another language to read the Bible? So, so this is all, this, this is non-biblical evidence that points to the fact that the scriptures are very unique and very special from any other book that's ever, that's ever been handed down in the history of humanity. Another evidence that we have is the archaeological discoveries that can, and the confirmation of places written in the Bible. So uh, some of you may have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947. Uh, Before they were found, the oldest manuscripts of the Old Testament were from the 10th century. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found, uh, were 1,200 years older than those 10th century manuscripts. So when they took those, they took the Dead Sea Scrolls and the 10th century manuscripts of the Old Testament and compared them. And they were almost identical. Almost identical. There were just a couple of misspelled words between the two documents. That's how accurately this has been handed down from generation to generation. Not only that, when you read the Bible, when you read the New Testament, the places that are, that are mentioned in the Old Testament in the Bible, uh, they're, they're, they are uh, verified in Scripture. So, like in the New Testament, there's Herod's temple is mentioned. Um, the, the Arapagus in Acts is mentioned. The theater in Ephesus, the Pool of Siloam in John. All of these places have been discovered. So, the things that the Bible talks about, archaeologists have been able to, well, literally dig it up and say, oh, the Bible said this was here, and it is. Look at this quote. It says, in all, Luke who was one of the writers of the New Testament, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, names 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands without error. And that's just a scratch on the surface. Sure thing. So another way that we can have confidence the Bible is a historical book and its accuracy that we have the, I mean, that we have God's word in our hand, right? Yeah. Is that the way the Bible was written provides the evidence that it's unique, right? So there's a, a quote here. Um, from Tim Holliday, and it's uh, one piece of evidence historians look for in assessing the reliability of a document is that the number of generations that have passed on a story before the story was written down. In other words, is the information firsthand or secondhand? The events of the Bible were primarily recorded in the generation in which they were experienced, right? So examples of this are like Moses, he wrote the book of Exodus. He also happened to be the one that parted the Red Sea. I mean, he would have been splashed with the water as the water was rising. So these are like sensory memories that he has that he's recording, right? Jesus had his disciples in the upper room with him. He broke bread in front of them. He poured the wine into the cup when he was passing communion. They were recording things they actually saw. 
They, they could smell the wine. They could taste the bread. So these are, these are firsthand accounts as opposed to these, you know, just as we're writing things that, from sources and so on and so forth. And there are authors in the Bible that did write, like Luke, you mentioned Luke, but he did his research. He, he interviewed, I think it was 500 eyewitnesses yeah. plus. And so that's, so we have these very accurate things and these firsthand accounts. And the, the other part of it is that the agreement and the consistency of the authors in the Bible, there's an agreement with all this consistency of these authors that wrote the Bible. So there's this other quote. This is from Josh McDowell, and this is fascinating. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years in various places stretching all the way from Babylon to Rome. The human authors included over 40 persons from various stations of life, kings, peasants, poets, herdsmen, fishermen, scientists, farmers, doctors, priests, pastors, tent makers, and governors. And it was written in lots of different locations, right? The wilderness, a dungeon inside of palaces, on a lonely island, in military battles. Yet it speaks with agreement and reliability on hundreds of controversial subjects. And that's, that's mind-boggling. Yet it tells the story from beginning to end, God's salvation of man through Jesus Christ. And I mean, no human being could possibly conceive something like that. To have that level of agreement with 60 plus author, or 60 plus books and, and 40 plus authors, to have that synchronization, it just, it's another evidence that God had his, was his hand in all of it. And that he was, he was integral in that, in the writing of that. So on your handout, you'll see um, in compare, we're not gonna read each of these, but in comparison, other religious books, the comparison between how many you know, copies and how many uh, authors and all those things, and then we have these other religious books of very large religions that are followed all throughout the world. I mean, they're, they're apples to oranges. The evidence is overwhelming for the Bible, whereas it's a stretch to trust in those other religious documents. It's kind of amazing if you think about what Josh McDowell said, because something can happen in the world today. Five people can be firsthand witnesses to what happened, and they all come out with five different stories. Yeah. Five different reasons why it happened. Five different people who did it. Five different outcomes of what took place. But yet when you find the scriptures being written over 1,500 years by these 40 different people, yeah. and they, come, they all come to the same conclusion. They all point to the same almighty God. Yeah. And, and that Jesus is the only way to be saved. So it's, it's just amazing, this book that we hold in our hands. And, and the reason, one of the reasons we want to point this information out to you is because we want you to love this book. We not more than you love God, okay? We, we want you to love God, the one who gave us the book. But if you want to know him, you have to get in the book. Mm -hmm. and, that, and, and you have to trust what it says. And so that's why we're doing this. There's another reason that the book is really stands out above other books, the Bible. And that is because personal testimonies give evidence that the Bible is a powerful book. Do you know the book, the, the Bible is the world's best-selling book? Five billion copies 
have been sold. Okay, I don't know how many copies have just been given away. Yeah. But five billion have been sold. There's there's eight billion people on the planet. All right, so that tells you how how popular this book is at a, on a world scale. It was the first major book printed on a printing press, the Gutenberg Press, which was the Gutenberg Bible. That was the first major translation that went out to the common person that didn't read Latin. Millions of people have declared that the Bible has influenced and changed their life. And so we have someone here. I could have, interviewed, I could have asked a couple of hundred people at Grace Bible Church to share just a brief testimony of how the Bible has changed their life. But I just asked one person. Her name's Miss Judy. and Miss, Well, she's Judy. To me, she's Miss Judy. Judy Boffman. <laughs> but I hear her testimony about how the Bible has impacted her life. Let's watch this together. Good morning. My name's Judy Boffman, and I have the privilege of sharing what the Lord's been doing in my life these past couple months. In January, when Pastor Carey announced that we would be going through the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, I left church very discouraged. I felt like, why, Lord, why? And when I got home, I was standing at the counter reading the bulletin, and I began to whine to the Lord. Now, Pastor Kerry would tell you that I was lamenting, but I, truly, honestly, I was whining. And I told the Lord, really, Lord, in January, the longest month of the year, the coldest month of the year, and we're going through this book, and on and on. And God spoke to my heart, and he said, read the book. I read the book, and I found God in the book. I found his character, his faithfulness, his plan for my life, his love, and I have been truly blessed to have been in that study. I no longer whine. I've grown up. I've fallen in love with the Word of God. And then we moved on to the valley the many, many valleys, and we looked at the losses in our life. And my life has been a life of change. Many losses, just as your lives have been through many losses. My parents, my mom and dad, my brothers, my sisters, my husband, a beloved son, friends, and as I Reflected on my life, God gave me the verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 39, that nothing in this world will ever separate me from his love. And I held on to that love through every valley, every loss. And I was blessed, and I was surrounded by his loving arms. And I, I can share with you today, knowing that he is faithful, he never forgets his promises. Never. I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Amen. 
Well, let me tell you something. There are people who have read the Book of Mormon who would give the same testimony. They would say, oh, it changed my life. And there are people who have read the Quran who would stand and say, oh, I read it and it changed my life. And there are people who will stand up and say, I watched the latest Marvel movie and I heard a line in it and it changed my life. Because all of that is based on just a personal testimony. But what we have with the Bible is we have millions of personal testimonies backed by all this historical evidence. Uh It's It's not just personal testimony. It's all this other stuff that supports that this book is very different from any other book and contains something within it that no other book contains. And that's why it's so important yeah. that we read the Bible. Absolutely. Another reason we can have a lot of confidence in the Bible is because Jesus believed and taught the Bible is from God. You know, you hear people all the time say, you know, I believe, I believe in Jesus. I just don't know if I can trust this book. Yeah. The irony of that statement is that Jesus had confidence in this book. Now, of course, Jesus, he had the Old Testament. Right. That was what he had available to him. But he taught and he taught that the Spirit is the author right. of the Scriptures. Um, and we're referring to the Scriptures. So if you'll look at Matthew uh, 22, 43 through 44, Jesus said this. Then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I have humbled your enemies beneath your feet. Now, Jesus here is, he's referencing Psalm 110, right? And he is, he is referencing it as though it is true. It is God's word. And he's in an argument and a debate with the Pharisees. And you'll notice here, he taught, one of the words we, we unpacked just a little while ago, he taught that David was saying those words in Psalm 110 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's right. That those words were from God. So Jesus believed the Bible, but not only that, Jesus taught the Bible is authoritative and should be obeyed. Jesus, when he was talking to the Sadducees, uh, he gave them a reason why they lacked the power of God in their lives. Look at what he said in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And you know what? I think that's true for a lot of people in the American church today. You don't know the scriptures Therefore, you don't know the power of God in your life. Did you know there's a lot of things that we say are in the Bible that aren't in the Bible? For instance, money is the root of all evil. Do you know that's not in the Bible? That's a, that's a, that's a, like a cliche. Cliche. <laughs> what the Bible says is the love of money is the root of all evil. See, there's a difference between those two things. The Bible does not say God helps those who help themselves. You know that, right? It's not in there. It's not, it's not there. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Who said that? Gandhi. <laughs> Gandhi said that. Now, the Bible definitely teaches that we should love sinners and that we should hate sin. But Jesus did not say that. Gandhi said that. that that's how convoluted things are becoming 
when we don't know what the Word of God says. My favorite one to pull out is, is it's on T-shirts and bumper stickers and on ball caps. I can do all things through Christ. The Bible does say that, but let me tell you something. Jesus will not help you do all things. He will not help you be selfish. He will not help you be greedy. He will not help you be self-serving. Just because you want it doesn't mean Jesus is going to help you do it. But that's how convoluted the scriptures have become because we don't know what it says. And therefore, we don't know the power of God. Look at what Jesus said again about the scriptures in Luke 11. It says, he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Uh We hear it by reading it, by doing what we're doing together this morning. Absolutely. Jesus also taught the scriptures were greater than any other book, right? Not only that it should be obeyed, but they're greater. This uh, Matthew 5, 18 through 19, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least of the commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then John 10, 35, Jesus said this, scripture is always true. I just love that comment that heaven and earth will pass away before God's law would pass away. Before the scriptures would be corrupted, the whole world could fall. He's not saying that's what will happen. He's saying that's how confident we should be in this book and in these words, yeah. Absolutely. Jesus also called the scriptures the word of God. Mark 7, 13 says, thus you nullify the word of God. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. So Jesus is referring to the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. That's what he's referring to as the word of God. And he's telling the Pharisees, you nullify it. And notice this quote. We put this in here again. This is from Tom Holliday. It says, even though Jesus did not possess the original writings of the Bible by Moses, David, and so forth, he nevertheless considered the manuscript copies used in his day to be the word of God. This is a powerful and personal expression to us of the truth that God works to preserve the integrity and accuracy of the Bible through generation after generation. That's pretty cool. (laughs) It's really cool. Finally, Jesus fully believed the Bible, or or the people in the Bible, and the places mentioned in the Bible were real, right? So there's lots of examples. Um, He spoke of the prophets and spoke of them as though they actually said what they were saying, not story, not something, not a fable I heard as a kid, but he believed them to be real. He believed in Noah. You can see, we're not going to read each of these, but you can see the references in Luke 17, 26. He believed in Adam and Eve, which again, many people would say, oh, that's an allegory. It's just an origin story that explains, um, you know, like in a story form how we got here. No, he actually believed they were real people. He believed in Sodom and Gomorrah and the events that took place there, and he believed in Jonah, right? And that's you, you know, the story of the man that was swallowed by a fish. I mean, he believed that to have actually happened, and he had confidence in that. And so, let's see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that's, <laughs> I feel bad. I was going to keep going. But that's you not can't keep going. No. <laughs> so the last four of those that were mentioned, um, those portions of the Bible are most often the portions of the Bible that people would say, I don't know that that yeah. really happened. Jesus said it really happened. And that's, that's, that's why this is so important for us to understand. Now, I know this morning has been quite different. Uh, it, it, it hasn't really been a sermon. It's really just been more information. In Alabama, we say it this way. Uh, some of this can be like trying to drink water from a fire hydrant. Yeah. You know what happens? You get wet all over and you just get a little bit in your mouth, you know? But we're throwing a lot of information at you about the scriptures, but we've given you these resources and we want you to go look. Go look yeah. for yourself so that you can begin to have confidence in God's word. Because here's what's happening. For many of us, sitting in this room right now and watching online. The only Bible you will read this week was the Bible we just showed you on the screen. That's it. You won't open it again. That's true for many of us sitting in this room. Yet we would say we believe it when reality is you don't even know what it says. And what's really bad is that sometimes you'll just take my word for it or you'll take Stephen's word for it or somebody else's word for it when God has made it available to all of us and it is completely reliable. I'm going to lead us in a, at a time of prayer. Uh, after we pray, uh, stay, stay where you are because we're going to do one more thing together before we leave. Uh, but let's, let's pray together right now. Father, uh, this has been such a different time together on Sunday morning. It's not what we typically do when we're together. But Lord, I, I believe you are calling us to, to pay attention to what you've given us. And I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word. Lord, that we would want to know what it says. That we would want to read it. Yes, there are challenges around it. Yes, there are, are things that we need to learn. And there's, there's some work involved in it. There's some time that needs to be dedicated to it. But Lord, don't let us be distracted from doing this in our life. From getting to know your word and trust it. We ask that you'd forgive us, Lord, for neglecting it, for not reading it, for not paying attention to it. Forgive us for being apathetic towards it or lazy or using the excuse that we're just too busy or the excuse that says, I don't like to read. Lord, we can come up with so many things to say, this is why I don't do it. Lord, forgive us. Be patient with us. Extend your mercy to us one more time. And Lord, let us change. Let us become a people who read your word and believe it. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>